You are now listening to The Sound of Sanity. This sound will continue for the duration of the program. Hey, everybody. That's one of the ones that doesn't auto shut off. Hey, everybody. How you have possibly forgotten that? I don't know. It's that one. What's the other one? Could you tell me off the top of your head? Because I know there's another one that's hidden in here that we make fun of. And every time I do it, you're like, did you forget that? But can you remember it right now? No, but I would have remembered the Womp one. We'll never know. No, I guess we'll never know. We'll never know. The Zimmer Nolan. Is there a... It's one of the cartoon ones, maybe. It's a Mario one. Oh, maybe that one. I've got the Mario one right here. Stopped. No, it's not that one. Nope. Maybe. No. You're a loser. Loser. You're a loser. Yeah, it's that one. You're a loser. Loser. Ah, my favorite. Loser. You're a loser. One that my wife has used against me at certain times in our marriage. Loser. Not when she thinks I'm a loser, but when I think I'm a loser. Like if I'm being self-contemptuous and she is contemptuous of me for being self-contemptuous, then the way she'll rebuke me is by saying. Hey, Nathan, you're a loser, loser, you're a loser. And then I'll be like, all right, I get it. Everything I do, including my podcast, is dripping with self-contempt. Now shut up. And then we'll... And then your marriage is healed. And then our marriage is healed. <laughs> yeah. My wife demands that all my contempt go towards her. And I think it's her right. It's what she signed up for. And so that's what I've done. You're a loser, loser. You're a loser, loser. You're a loser, loser. You're a loser, loser. like a symphony isn't it Ben? it's really like a symphony a bittersweet symphony. a bittersweet <laughs> symphony yes yeah. hey i'm your host we've got a, the captain right there yeah that's right folks i'm sticking with it it's uh, <laughs> captain solzer himself here i am and we've got the greatest living or the world's greatest living theologian what was it anybody remember no the world's greatest living theologian i will go with that okay jake Benzel. ben of course a pastor jake pastor me your host and welcome to the show, Sound of Sanity. Guys, we have nothing to talk about today. It's going to be very upfront this, about that. This is the one where we pretend we're doing an episode of Seinfeld. Yes. Although you just made it sound like a friend's, a, a reference. friend's, a friend's yeah, reference. That was the joke. Yeah. Yep. Oh. This is the one where <laughs> it's a show about nothing. Fun fact, never seen an entire episode of Friends. No... I'm calling absolute nonsense on that. I have I never just seen cannot one. possibly believe that's true. Can you believe that Ben has not seen an episode? No, of I don't believe either of you have never seen a full episode. I of would consider them to totally be false. acquaintances at best, maybe enemies. Oh my goodness! I've never seen an episode. That is not. That, how did you get through the '90s without seeing a full episode of Friends? I What's just wrong never around anyone who cared about Friends that I remember. I wasn't either, and yet. I didn't have a TV I did on. live in the 90s. So I've seen I don't know. I all mean, kinds actually, of episodes of I did have TVs episodes on. of Friends. This is I no, was, nope, it's sorry. absolutely never unavoidable. Never happened. I never wanted to. If, if it was on the channel when I was channel surfing listlessly as a depressed teenager, I would you just had turn a the sister. channel. I don't remember her ever watching it. My sister loved X-Files. Well, so did everybody. Your sister well, was cool. Yeah. Right. In that moment, at least. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. She's cooler than me. Don't, don't let me make any statements I can't back That's up. Right. Listen, here's the thing about Friends. 
maybe Jake, as a handsome person, you felt flattered because you were like, handsome people can be funny. <laughs> but as a funny person, as a funny person, I was like, handsome people cannot be funny. Right. Yeah. Well, this is basically all friends did, and I've heard seen Seinfeld talk about this. He's like, they took my shtick, but they made beautiful people do it. What's the deal with that? And <laughs> that's my wonderful Seinfeld. <laughs> that's really folks. great. Yeah, you, uh, funny, right? Yeah. Uh, I think funny yeah. was what we that's were what I talking said. about being funny. Yeah, see, wow. yeah, Jennifer Aniston was the hotness. Oh, give me a break! They're all hotties. You got your uh, Phoebe, Courtney Cox. Yeah, she Courtney. The, yeah. yeah, but still, I'm yeah, sure Courtney one of them's coded as the less the, hot. But yeah, but they were all cute. Even David Schwimmer. I mean, well, especially David Schwimmer. Maybe good looking man, dark brooding. He's. Yeah, the, I just don't make judgments about those guys. You know, well, I'm just saying, it's a good looking. No, it's a good looking cast. cast. Yeah, and it's meant to be a good looking cast. And then you go over to Seinfeld, where it's like, uh, yeah, these people look like neurotic, funny people. That none of them, not even Elaine, has like that traditional. Yeah. Elaine's kind of cute, but whatever. But it's not. That's what a comedy show, you know what a yeah, comedy Yeah, but well, so Elaine was coded as dorky, but then there were moments where they were like, y'all know that she's actually hot, right? Right, but you always have to have a girl who's hot. That's fine. Yeah. The fact, the yeah. point is Jerry, Kramer, and especially George, the heart of the show, in my opinion, not that I'm a huge Seinfeld guy, but- No, but George is the heart of the show. I agree. But these guys are just normal, schlubby New York- The show doesn't actually work without George. Yeah, George is, George is a genius. Yep. Yes. So if you really want to know my 90s sitcom, which I know everybody was wondering, what is Nathan's 90s sitcom bag? Frasier. All the way, baby. You could have guessed that, right, listener? I've I'm never a... seen an episode of Frasier. I either. love Frasier. Frasier and Niles, they're hoity Frasier was fun. My stepmom really loved Frasier. And I think loved it less for the show and more because she's a big Cheers fan. And it's just like what was left and what came next. Mm -hmm. But. Yeah, I'm actually that lame kid who felt flattered by Frasier because they were talking about these operas and Frasier. They're taking the tar out of Frasier for being sophisticated, but it also makes you feel a little bit good if you consider yourself to be literate. And so I liked that. I liked picking up on the references and the, the, it just felt a little bit wittier mm -hmm. than I'm not saying that was anything but a humongous character flaw on my part. Was Frasier actually all that better written than anything? No, probably not. But I liked Frasier. I liked Niles. I liked Daphne. I liked Frasier's dad. Yeah, see, I couldn't do more than Frasier and Niles, and I might not have even been able to pull Niles. But Niles is a, such a great character. Yeah, yeah, so I'm just, yeah. I just don't know that I would have been able to pull the name. Like, I'm you know, familiar enough with Frasier to have a fondness for it, but definitely not. I think I can do the whole cast. Let's see, you got your Frasier, you got your Niles, you got your Daphne, the caretaker, you got Martin, his dad, you got Eddie, the dog, you got Roz at the station, and then Bulldog also works at everybody's favorite supporting character, works at the station. I think I've actually seen every episode of Frasier. Man. You probably rewatched it on Netflix or something recently. Not recently, but I think I did watch it on streaming. Frasier is like my The Office. Everybody like watches The Office over and over and knows all the bits and says office quotes to each other as if that's a cultural currency. I guess not it as is. if it is. It is, in fact, a cultural currency. It's fine. I don't look down on it. That's, yes, you do. My, my voice was a voice of <laughs> appreciation for such mainstream thinking. We all know better. <laughs> but <laughs> And I dare say every listener knows better. I don't really like The Office. Ben, what's your favorite situation I've comedy? I've watched The Office. I've watched some episodes. You've probably seen clips and I've stuff. I've definitely seen I've clips. Watched the first and I've season. laughed at clips. And yeah. Amanda 
I wanted to try to get into the office, but it's just not her speed or style. She doesn't like that level of awkwardness, awkward and irony. Megan is, is, is a fan, but I'm the one who actually couldn't take the awkwardness. The, it produced anxiety. There's an episode. It's pretty famous for people not being able to watch it. It's called Scott's Tots. And the idea is Michael Scott promised these kids that he would pay for their college tuition. He did it when he was a young man and he figured in 20 years he would have made as enough money to pay for it because, you know, he's a moron, that Michael Scott. And so the whole episode is he's going to, these kids are about to graduate high school and they've invited Michael to give them a speech and send them on their way. And he has to decide whether he's going to fess up that he cannot pay for these youth from hard circumstance, whatever it's called, urban youth. And it is just the, one of those things where I had to turn it off. Like I can't, I cannot deal with <laughs> the idea of having made that level of have promise. You, of, have you have you guys watched the Ricky Gervais British one, which is a thousand times did. more? I actually have seen that. It's a thousand times more cringe and awkward and painful in yeah, well, my experience. I, I would I would say no. I would in my memory, it's just colder, and it being so much colder makes it less. Yeah, it's it's a, you can it's, sort it's, of it's more like these are aliens. You can like, other watch them. them be. Yeah, yeah it's, it's more British, like less human. And yeah, Gervais is unlikable. The, one of the things that makes Michael Steve Carell yeah. so painful in that role for me is that he actually is a likable guy, and so you feel hurt by him. Whereas Gervais, like you see him walking up, he's and just like, a monster. This guy's a monster. Like a yeah, yeah, he deserves everything yeah. that's coming to him. It's easy to hate that yeah. guy. Yeah, <laughs> but. And plus Gervais, you know, he's like a virulent atheist. Like he's gone on to be hateful. Whereas, although I guess we would agree with him on a lot of cancel culture kind of. he's Yeah, I mean, he's the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And he is an enemy of censorship and cancel culture as the enemy of any comedy. Right. Because it's the enemy of truth telling. And that's the heart of good comedy. Right. So, so Gervais is standing he actually up for that. is something of a, of a prophetic voice in the midst of all the nonsense in that sense yeah i wish one of those guys that i would that i like would become a prophetic voice instead of russell brand and ricky gervais and dave chappelle dave chappelle joe rogan all guys whose acts i wouldn't go see before Uh, and don't want to see now uh, what's his face that they pulled into the mandalorian and uh oh bill burr he's big big phony anyway i don't care about bill burr yeah sorry nathan john stewart's never gonna come to your side What about Woody Allen? <laughs> Sorry, my friend. He's not going to be on anyone's side anyway, anytime soon. You need to bring Norm back from the dead. Yeah, but the problem with Norm is that he's been main, lame-streamed now. All the people think Only because he's dead. I know. It's if like, he was alive, he would still be untouchable. I know, but and Norm was a genius, but everybody loves Norm now, so I feel like I can't own Norm. People say no, you own him. You just or... own the fact that he, well, he said things like that. Right. He said he was a Christian. Whether that meant what yeah. we would mean by it is a whole other question. But. Yeah, there's a lot of things that are open to interpretation about whatever it is he actually. And he liked it that way. He didn't let anyone mm-hmm. in, up to and including dying without anyone knowing he was about to do it. Yeah. No, you can claim actually liking and appreciating Norm Macdonald while he was still alive. Yes, like, I, I will vouch for you, and I don't think you should let that go and let the people who want to claim him post facto ruin it. I think that's stupid. No, you're right. You're right. What was so great about him? I have, I have a vague idea of what he represented. Norm Macdonald was a genius at playing to the person watching at home instead of the audience in the studio. So he would do these elaborate 
jokes and I don't always like this kinds of stuff when it's like what's his name Sasha Baron Cohen or some when it's someone putting other people in an awkward position mm-hmm. but Norm Macdonald was so sarcastic and so funny and so ironic in the way that he would do it the classic example is the Bob's mm-hmm. the roast of Bob Saget I don't know if you've seen that clip Jake but yep. I thought you were gonna say the moth there, well, yeah, there's that too. But my favorite is the roast of Bob Saget, where it's at one of those Friars Club roasts where everyone's just vulgar and dirty and saying, we wish you'd die. You know, like the whole joke is how far can you go? And so Norm MacDonald, being the ultimate iconoclast, gets up. He's got like a joke book from the 1930s. <laughs> and so it's jokes like, you've got a lot of well wishes today, Bob. They want to push you down a well. It's like that level of what we now <laughs> stupidly call. But it's just, he's always just offbeat enough in how he approaches these things that like, it's just impossibly, he walks such a, a wire. And so he's just mocking. He's there, there actually is a weird morality to it. It's like, no, I don't want to make fun of my friend, Bob Saget. It's, this is stupid that we're all saying these nasty things. Although Norm McDonald could be as vulgar or nasty as anybody, but it's like he didn't want to just do it it's, because he, I think he iconoclast was supposed to. is the real word for him. Where it's just like he he was not going to be put in any boxes. He was going to find a way to upset anyone's expectations in any context in a way that did feel like it had a morality to it. That yeah, he goes on the View and they're asking him. They're trying to do a bit with him, and I can't describe it. You can tell his hatred for the shallowness of Barbara Walters and those view ladies is like, but he doesn't play it as though he's being contemptuous. He just plays, kind of acts like a sarcastic, dumb guy that doesn't understand their questions. Nobody played dumb in a smarter way. <laughs> Here's a story I like about Norm MacDonald. He would perform at clubs, and if he was successful, I, I saw some comic that traveled with him tell this story. He would go back into a room and disappear. If he bombed, then he would go and he would stand at the back of the club and shake everyone's <laughs> hand as they're leaving. So it's just that level of like, I, my real joke is with myself and anyone who's around to sort of get it, but not in like an obnoxious Andy Kaufman kind of way, in a pretty charming and, as Jake said, weirdly moral kind of Like the things that he hated were the right things to hate at at the very least. He hated pretension. He hated hypocrisy. He hated liberal hypocrisy, actually. Yeah. His coming out of the closet gag. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I just Uh, haven't uh, seen it. He would just say, I'm a deeply closeted homosexual. So are you, did you just come out of the closet? Are you gay? Uh, No. I said I'm deeply closeted. (laughs) Are you kidding me? (laughs) And then he just like played that and you couldn't get anything out of him. (laughs) What part of deeply closeted don't you understand? (laughs) And he just keep playing with that. Like, I don't know. Well, and you, you watch him bomb. That's what I like. That Bob Saget roast. It's like. The audience at the roast isn't laughing. You can see the comedians up on the dais are all laughing because they understand what it is he's doing and what he's mocking. <laughs> but the the audience is like dead silence. And it's funny to watch in retrospect, but it's actually – and he just does it with a big grin on his face and, as, if he's, <laughs> as if he's doing a masterpiece of comedy. Because he is. He is. And then at the end he says, Bob's my friend and I love Bob and gives him a handshake or something. And you actually do feel like – yeah, this guy was asked to be on a roast. He thought the roasts were stupid and vulgar and didn't want to demean himself. And then he came up with the most sarcastic way to <laughs> undermine the entire <laughs> event. <laughs> That's great. 
He's going to go on Conan and he's going to start telling a story and he's just going to keep the story going for as long as possible. And it's going to be an interesting story and he's going to throw in the most insane details. Everybody's going to have the most absurd name. It's going to go on and 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 on. And people are just going to keep laughing and there's going to be some nervous tension about where is this story going. He's going to kind of keep you hooked in. And then it's going to end with the cheesiest punchline of all time, like the most dumb. This is actually a six-year-old's joke that he turned into a 10-minute story, and that's how he used all of Conan, all of his time on Conan. <laughs> and, 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 t- and totally, wait, Conan will say, what about the movie you're here to promote? And then he'll just keep going with the story. Like he's just, <laughs> He doesn't care. <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah, no, he was I, he was a genius and an iconoclast. Are you going to play something? You should play something. Well, folks, we just paused to watch the Norm Macdonald roast of Bob Saget, and it was everything I remembered. A oh, great man. ironist, a great moralist, a very vulgar man, and I don't know whether he was a Christian, probably not, but I do have affection for Norm Macdonald. Oh. He's hard not to love if you've spent time, any time, actually, He's enough of a master ironist that you watch him and be like, "I what was this lame guy doing?" If you're in the wrong mood or don't know, yeah. don't know him. Yeah. But, so in that sense, he's something of an acquired taste. You have to sort of be in on the joke. But I don't feel bad about him the same way that I feel about like an Andy Kaufman or one of these performance guys who's always playing dumber than he actually is, or smarter, or playing a, a prank Andy on Kaufman the audience. Kaufman just hated everybody, and that's what you felt. And Norm Macdonald may he just doesn't. It's like he plays that, but he doesn't feel that way. Yeah, I want to say maybe he did. Maybe he hated himself. Maybe he hated the world and everybody else in it. But there was something. He believed that was wrong right. at the very least. It's, maybe that was true. Maybe, maybe the worst possibility is true. He actually did hate himself and the world and everyone in it. But he made a moral judgment about that. And he said that's wrong. That's the worst, I think, that you can construe Norm MacDonald. And I don't know that that's a fair construal, but it's sort of like that C.S. Lewis quote, I find in me no love for children, and I find that that's a deep flaw, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like, he's honest about that. And then he's able to separate himself and say, and this is a problem, it's not a virtue, and I'm not going to pretend it's a virtue. And so if it's true, which I don't know that it is, and I don't actually feel that it is true, Maybe it was, maybe there's deep bitterness there and anger, I'm sure there is. But at the very least, there's a moral judgment about that level of loathing that comes through in a way that's pretty endearing and sweet. Yeah, well, and he has a way of making enough of the joke on himself. Like it's If you watch like Borat or something where this guy is going out, he's... Yeah, intentionally playing an idiot, but his real goal is to make you expose your own idiocy, to make you say a racist thing that you wouldn't normally say, yeah, and then to get you to sign a waiver so that he can put it in front of people and profit off of. And it's like, I remember when Borat came out. I never actually saw the movie, but there was a clip going around where he started singing a song about how terrible the Jews were. Throw the Jew down the well. I've seen this, and he got some rednecks in a bar in the South to sing along, and it's like. How hard would it be to get any one of us to just go with the flow in a weak moment like that and sing along or play along or whatever? And what would that really say about our character, about our 
inherent racism about anything. Like it's not that hard to make someone look like a fool if your goal is to make someone look like a fool. And Norm Macdonald was good at puncturing celebrity culture and vapidness and just the immorality of the industry that he was in. Like the Bob Saget clip, he's clearly angry with the Friars for just being vulgar and stupid and mean and nasty. Mm -hmm. And this isn't how friends treat each other. And I'm not going to play the game. And I'm good because you've asked me, I'm going to punish you by wasting everyone's time and not even making the audience laugh. And there's any number of things that are aggressive middle fingers about it. Yeah. But he also gets up there and guilelessly plays such a good version of a stupid guy who thinks that those jokes are good. There's irony, there's sarcasm there. He's doing both things at the same time, which is what makes him such a genius. But he plays guileless enough that you actually can enter into it on the level of who's this goofball telling dad jokes. And he just he's a really masterful tightrope walker in that way. You never feel like he's being mean and his targets are well. I mean, and, and so it's this there's constant um, two plus two equals four. And the four he wants you to arrive at is some level of truth about either the situation he's in or about humanity or about your own heart or about what's going on in the world. And so in that Bob Saget roast, you cannot escape one way or another by the time it's over reckoning with the mean-spiritedness behind this supposed honoring of a comedian where it's actually everybody letting loose on him. Like, you you just can't avoid it. And so you're forced to reckon with it. And what are we doing to each other and to people in the name of, under the guise or pretense of humor? Like, that's just where he leaves you. Like, you have to deal with that. Right. And you have to deal with the fact that those roasts, they get together, they say, hey, it's gentlemen's agreement. You're coming, Bob, because you know everyone's going to, mock what was the show he was on full house full house and gonna make profane horrible jokes about the olsen twins and everything out like the whole idea is that we'd be as nasty as possible but we do it with love and the Mm -hmm. hypocrisy Uh is the hypocrisy is it's not with love like you're actually just saying what you actually think i I have a roasty sense of humor i enjoy some of those things sometimes but it's but there's never not the edge of reality to yeah the truth is going to be in Haha, ha, didn't everybody wish they could have sex with the Olsen twins? Right. And haha, ha, I'm going to make rape jokes. And haha, ha, you're a pervert. And haha, ha, and this truth and all of that, and the truth is a really nasty, mean truth to be rubbing everybody's nose in. And so Norm's going to get up and say, isn't what we're doing really nasty? Yeah. And isn't this whole thing as profane and evil as any of the truths that we're supposedly making fun of. Right. Which, of course, he could be horrible. I mean, if anyone's listening to this and doesn't know Norm MacDonald, he could be very vulgar. He could be right. extremely profane. Like, he, or not, or not, he's not a saint. No. But he certainly did have a way of taking the air out of hypocrisy that was a lot of fun. Mm. And he was just a great talk show guest. It's most fun to watch him in those situations where he kind of has to, live situations where he has to think on his feet. He's just a master of that kind of thing in a way that I actually appreciate even more than his actual stand-up. But comedy, I guess we're doing an episode on comedy. Mm. Ben, who's the comedian that you've enjoyed the most? 
Jeff Foxworthy. Jeff Foxworthy. How did you fellas know? <laughs> you might be a redneck if yeah. you enjoy my <laughs> obvious humor. <laughs> oh man, I don't know. I've never. Yeah, you grew I grew up in Tennessee, and I didn't grow up watching any comedy though. I didn't grow up paying any attention to Foxworthy what? or anyone. You didn't have Jeff Foxworthy CDs. I did watch play Full House. Repeat? Well, I've said on the force of this very episode that I'm a funny guy. You're a funny guy. Where's it come from? What's the first thing that you remember in your life just being like, that's funny? Was it a, maybe it was a person? Maybe I remember was... reading books of jokes as a kid. Like I had several books and I would just read them just all the time. And I remember trying to become good at making jokes or good at least repeating jokes. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I really don't. Looney Tunes? That doesn't seem right. Yeah, I don't know. Sorry, I, I really, I'm not sure. I mean, I think I watched a lot of things that had comedy, some of which was just garbage. Right. Kid stuff. My dad has a sense of humor that I always liked. He liked to make the same set of jokes all the time. Whenever anyone would come over for dinner, he'd make that joke about, oh, it's the, we never get a hot meal, you know, except mm. we have guests. Right. He would do that every time, but he had so much fun with it. It was infectious. It didn't matter that it was the same joke. It always made me smile. It always made my mom smile. He could get away with dumb jokes like that. And he still does. If you're listening, I love you. Yeah, no, it's that's the kind of humor that he had. So I know I pulled from that, but I, I'm not sure what else. I don't know what a formative text is for me. Take formative, comedic like presence in your life, whether it's a person or a TV show or... Yes, I can't. Well... My grandfather, maybe. Listening to and repeating some Monty Python skits, just audio-only skits... Mm-hmm. Getting the cadences of their voice and the way that they would deliver humor, the way that they thought. That was like in high school or something. A friend would play those in the car. It was great. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I really, I don't know what else though. I think how I would answer the question. Looney Tunes was pretty formative, things like that. Yeah. I think for me, sorry if this is like lame and old fashioned and like super boomer, but Groucho Marx was really, I remember Mm -hmm. seeing a Marx Brothers movie when I was young and really just locking into the power that this guy had. People don't know Groucho. There's the three Marx brothers and one of them didn't talk. Uh, why can't I pull the Marx brothers? Harpo. Harpo didn't talk. He was just like a silent clown, mm-hmm. Buster Keaton kind of guy. And then Chico, Chico. was like a Italian stereotype kind of wordplay guy. But then Groucho's thing was that he just had one-liners and he would just come into the room kind of, I don't know who the modern reference, I want to say Rodney Dangerfield, but that's an old reference now. He'd just come into the room and destroy people and walk around and have these little one-liners and he'd see a fat person and say something say they're going to tear you down and build an apartment building or something like that and just he'd just walk around and do that and of course it's in a script so it's like they cast a fat person to come in to stand there so that he could deliver a line that was written but i didn't realize that right now as a little kid i just saw this guy come in and own a room and Mm. he wasn't the strongest and he wasn't the best looking and he wasn't he wasn't the most powerful all he had was wit Mm -hmm. and i was just like intensely like i want that if i could have anything in life i would like to have the ability to have that and somehow i don't know why it felt attainable i mean it didn't feel attainable in one way because especially when you're young it's like humor is so elusive it just feels like there's funny people there's unfunny people where does it come from or there's times you can be funny because you have friends who believe in you right there's other times you try to be funny with someone else And everyone thinks you're stupid. Right. But the one thing you know you can't do is control it. Like you can't just turn it Mm -hmm. on when you want, when you're a kid. 
um, and have it when you want it and then get rid of it when you don't. You just, you don't have that control over it. And you don't really have a conception of what actually makes adults laugh. Somehow it did feel like, well, I'm not, I'm never going to be the strongest. I'm never going to be the, there, there's a lot of things that I will never do, but that's something. And there was a guy at church. I remember that was funny, just like our dude and watching him do the same thing. Just the fact that the guy always felt comfortable everywhere. Like anywhere he went, he felt comfortable and people liked him. And I was just, and I felt uncomfortable and I felt like people didn't like me. And I was like, I want to have the power that that guy has, not the power of being the best person, not the power of being the strongest person, but just the power of, if I want somebody to like me, I can get there, which is kind of, as I've discovered, not real. I don't know that people actually do always like funny people. I think people actually like people that laugh about as much as anything. They like people like people that make them feel funny. Men, at least. I think women, if I can wildly generalize, uh, like a man that makes them laugh. But, and of course, we all like funny people and witty people. But sometimes you'll be in the presence of someone who's aggressively funny all the time and you'll just be like, I hate this person. Go away. Stop, like, <laughs> wasting my time. And I was never really, the, I was maybe a little bit of the class clown, but I was more of the class performance artist. And the class clown, like, I hated the class clown. I was like, why is the class clown wasting our time? We're supposed to be here learning. And the teacher obviously doesn't like the class clown and he's making everyone uncomfortable. So maybe I was just envious of the class clown. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, those are some thoughts. I don't know where they came from or what to say about them, but I don't know. You guys got any more thoughts about comedy, comedians, comedic influences, Norm MacDonald, anything at all? something awesome to just put a bow on this episode. So everyone feels like they had such a valuable experience. Wish I did. Yeah. I don't know. I, what I appreciate about there's such a fine line in comedy between, I love the way that you can use comedy to be a truth teller. Mm -hmm. And I hate the way that you can undermine the gravity of the truth in your comedic truth telling. And so that's a place where, I sort of, it's not a button to put on anything. It's just sort of a, as I think about comedy, truth-telling, comedians, there's a certain degree to which as a preacher, as a pastor, as a communicator, there's some wisdom in drawing some inspiration from a certain type of, of mm -hmm. comedian, but there's also a real danger and a real weakness. And I don't know if that's worth exploring, but it's just sort of like where my mind went. Well, what I hate these days is I hate Twitter culture. I hate the culture of C.S. Lewis actually talks about this in either Screwtape or Mere Christianity. I forget which. I forget whether it's the demon talking about it or just C.S. Lewis. But the I haven't actually made a joke, but I have a posture like I just made a joke. The sort of I go through life assuming the joke's already been made. Right now, as we record, the stupid submarine thing is going on. And everybody's dunking on the idea that these rich people lock themselves in a submarine and are now drowning to death under down with Titanic. And there is rich, dramatic irony in the deaths of these people. Shakespeare couldn't have written it better. They're going to see the Titanic. I mean, I'm, I don't have to spell it out for you. But the fact that so many people are out there, there's such a culture of let's just strike a pose as if this is funny mm -hmm. when it's not funny. I don't care if they were billionaires. I don't care if they were stupid. It's four people buried alive under the ocean, five people 
It's horrific. It's horrific. Hmm. There's nothing funny about it. There's just not. I don't want to see your memes. I don't want to see your jokes. I don't want to see any of it. It makes me so angry. It makes me want to see our civilization burn to the ground. Honestly, it's just like if that's what we've gotten, if we're that callous, then let's not just be done with Twitter. Let's be done with America. Let's be done with the West. This sucks. It, I hate it. And so just this cheap sort of post-South Park, post John Stewart, post-Twitter mindset that everyone has where it's like everything is fodder for my own personal sitcom that I'm in. A, that's not a good way to live. It denies the sincerity and the seriousness of the way that God made the world. It's also not funny. It also, like, if you always assume that a joke has already been made, then it removes the burden of actually having to make a joke. And that is the John Stewart of it all. Yeah. Really, like, that the news is funny because it's the news. Right. And isn't the world stupid? Isn't everybody and everything stupid and hilariously stupid? And aren't we all above it all? Yeah, and that's an attractive pose for some people, I guess. But you think about the children of John Stewart, you think about what's his face? You think about Kimmel and Colbert. None of these guys are none of these guys are funny. Yeah. They don't make me laugh. And it's because they assume the joke's already been made and so therefore they don't have to make it. They just have to strike a pose and say, Trump's dumb. Or you can find conservatives who strike a pose and say Biden's dumb, and it's equally unfunny. Has Tucker ever commented on that time he had Stewart on Crossfire? That's interesting. I'm sure he must have by I'm now. I'm sure he must have by now. Y'all, you know the clip I'm talking about? No, I remember it, yeah. So this is back in the early Tucker Carlson days when he was on CNN and had a show called Crossfire, and it was he was the conservative, and there was the liberal across from him, and it was a big play, a show of having some kind of debate. Mm -hmm. And it really was pretty shallow and there wasn't much to it. And Stuart came on the show and the whole idea behind Stuart's appearance was he's going to pop the bubble of this stupid show where we don't actually debate and take things seriously. And Tucker's trying to come at him and say, you do a comedy take on the news. There's nothing sincere about you or your show. And Tucker ends up looking like the really small man. And Stuart's the moment that he really gets him is he says, you wear a bow tie. And like you're this young kid who acts serious and you're not serious. Then there's this exchange and Stuart wins the day. On the show, there's no question. But that doesn't mean there was anything right about his actual posture or about that show. Mm -hmm. I haven't gone back and revisited it. It just, it struck me that you threw Stuart out there as a big part of this as a post this is a post Stuart thing and I remember at the time that happened both feeling like just being cringed out by Tucker and that show and hating all of it and sort of being in John Stewart's corner but also being like Tucker may be sounding pretty shrill here but he's got his point mm -hmm. like and he can't make it because he's so embattled and shrill and cornered and exposed but i'm not entirely sure he's wrong there's just something that's just like I, I i remember not being able to put my finger on it at the time mm. but i was with stewart because i hated tucker and i hated that show and at the same time feeling like this is all it's all wrong well the interesting thing is that stewart or tucker rather 
adapted and he's more relevant than ever. Whereas Stewart is like borderline canceled these days. Nobody cares about him and yeah, people exactly. are a little bit offended by him. And I think he's a little bit down on the culture that I just described that he's created. created. Yeah. And that is, that's why I would love to hear what Tucker today has to say. Cause I, I don't hate him anymore. I have a ton of respect for him now, but I think he's evolved and changed. Like I just think he's a better man today and actually has something worth saying. But I don't know. I'd just love to hear him hmm. talk today about that. Stuart, if you're a listener and you have a clip or a place where you've seen that, I'd love for you to forward it to me. Yeah, same. Yeah. I'll go back and I'm talking sort of out of pocket because that, I mean, that clip must be 15, 15 20 years, years old yeah. and I haven't probably haven't watched it since mm -hmm. it was a moment and it was one of those moments that like you flag and it matters and you as you watch it happen you know it matters and you're not even sure why it matters or why it's going to matter more it was just like one of those things it's like i'm not sure what's a big deal about this exact moment but this was a really important thing that just happened hmm. and maybe one day i'll figure it out I just remember feeling that way about that stupid little clip. And maybe that's over overblowing it, but I'm not sure that it is because if you look at what's happened since with those two men in particular, yeah. it tells such a big story hmm. about the world that we live in today. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I don't know what else to say about it, but... Me, basically what happened after that is Tucker went on, if I recall this story correctly, and I could be getting this wrong, but I think that Tucker actually was changed by that and it ended up with him being fired mm. by CNN. I think he got fired from that show because he, I think he took something from that. I could be wrong. I don't know. That's I'm talking pretty far out of pocket. <laughs> I want to go back and see if I'm, if, my, if I'm making up a story or if I'm remembering or reconstructing a story here. Well, certainly Tucker got exposed and you don't have that parade of nakedness without some soul searching afterwards. Right. How can I avoid ever having that happen to me again. Maybe I just don't have a bow tie anymore. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. Or maybe the only lesson is don't have a smart comedian that's going to corner me so quickly and give me no way out. He wasn't playing fair, but I can't put myself in that. But in any huh. case, he's changed himself quite a bit. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what else to say about any of it. I think if you want to be a Christian and you want to, have a good sense of humor, you do have to have a good sense of reality. I think that the places where reality is ridiculous, you can only really see them in relief when you understand the world as God made it in God's truth. So I do actually think people with a strong moral sense, people with a strong moral center, people with a foundation of truth behind them are the funny people, ultimately. And I think even some people that we like who we would think of as deconstructionists people who have been on the path to John Stewart and our post John Stewart world, somebody like David Letterman had a sense of that or someone like Norm Macdonald since we started with him, you know, mm -hmm. they, they, well, those guys have a moral sense to them. Well, isn't that just made me think of the deconstructionists. Isn't that why people still find them helpful today to the extent they do? They started a destructive movement, right? but their whole deal was exposing hypocrisy. Right. And they actually did that. Yeah, I think it's the problem with all deconstruction is deconstruction doesn't have a natural end. No, and right. so the structuralists, the post-structuralists, the deconstructionists, they get, just keep deconstructing until suddenly you have postmodern art that just means nothing. nothing. And right. postmodern criticism and academics that mean 
Nothing. Nothing. That's right. That is only in reference to itself. And unless you know the code of what the person was thinking when it's like the way people describe Kant or something, but it's worse. It's unless you are able to exist inside the head of the person who wrote this and know all their references to themselves, then you will not be able to decipher it. It's a labyrinth without a map. And I think that's the way that humor is gone. Like we've just kept deconstructing with our humor until suddenly there's not actually a foundation to deconstruct. And if you want the next, whoever it is, whoever your guy is, if you want the next George Carlin or Norm MacDonald or Voltaire or Mark Twain or whoever you actually think is funny, then you actually have to rebuild. You actually have to build a foundation. Because well, just to say that the next real great comedian is a Christian or comes downstream of some kind of, because there's no going back. There's only going forward. Yeah. I think that's really true, but they need something to push against. And, and it won't be the person that just takes the John Stewart type stuff and does a Christian version of it. It won't be the person that I know I've picked on it before, but it won't be the people that take the onion and just right. do a Christian version of it. Mm-hmm. It'll have to be someone standing on a new foundation who actually has something to push against and does it smart and works hard. I mean, that's what I actually think about so many comedians is they just simply do not work hard. It does not take a long time to write a Colbert bit because Colbert just says Trump is stupid and everybody claps, which requires relatively little effort. Propaganda, once you've set it up, is not that hard to generate. And Norm MacDonald obviously put a lot of thought into what he did. There's artistry there. There's thought. There's intelligence. There's work. And I just I have no respect for artists that don't actually put in the work. And I just don't think we see as many of them these days. Always easy to complain about the past. I'm sure there's wonderful comedians, and I just don't know about them. It's not like I follow comedy that closely. But mm-hmm. I probably follow it closer than almost anyone listening. And I think we're missing something. All right. Patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity. Until next time. Stay sane.